Hi guys, welcome back to Vibing in Valentino. So, Bangkok is, uh, I'm sorry if it's like really echoey right now. I'm recording from my condo and I don't know, this office right now is super echoey. So, um, yeah, I hope that doesn't bother you guys too much. But, um, Bangkok's second wave is so crazy and all the gyms are shut down and, um, because I'm at my condo during the week, I haven't been able to work out like the way that I love, which is like in the gym, lifting heavy. So I have been obsessed. This is my weekly weakness this week and it is my own product, but I've been obsessed with my goodie bag because I don't even know what I would do if I did not have the super heavy booty bands and core sliders. Like I just like body weight for me no longer cuts it especially for my booty workouts and for my leg workouts i need some some resistance there to um even really feel anything um but yeah that has been what i'm obsessed with this week and i just really like thank god for it because i was able to get in a full like 15 minute workout using just the goodie bag set and um yeah <laughs> all in the comfort of my own living room so uh, if you guys want to check that out you guys can do that at my website vibinginvalentino.com also if you guys want to purchase my eight-week workout program vibing strong um it is at home friendly or gym friendly but especially with the situation going on right now i recommend you guys kind of just staying home and working out from home um no matter where you are in the world covid is really going nuts and i like i'm so sick of it i i even sound i think i even sound tired even just like talking about it oh my god but yeah you can do that um you can just drop a line say hi or book a one hour coaching call with me all on my website vibinginvalentino.com okay let's get right into our conversation this week Our guest this week is a master sommelier. I hope I'm saying that right. Am I saying that right? <laughs> you know what? The easiest way to remember it is some all yay. Some all yay. Yeah. Is that that's better? It. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And she is also the vice president of wine and beverage experiences at Cooper's Hawk Winery and Restaurants. Now, I don't know if you guys are aware, but being a master sommelier is kind of a big fucking deal. I mean, there's less than 300 master sommeliers in the world, and even less than that are female in this male-dominated industry. And I am so honored to have the opportunity to have Emily on Vibing in Valentino. Emily Wines, yes, that is her real name. Welcome to Vibing in Valentino. Thank you. Yes. So tell us about yourself, where you're from. Give us some background info. I am from Oakland, California. Uh, I've been on the West Coast my whole life, and I've been in the wine industry for over 20 years. I've been a master sommelier for 12 of them. How did you get started in this wine industry, and what got you interested? Well, you know, I uh, like most sommeliers, I, I didn't grow up saying that's what I want to be when I, when, I, when I become an adult. <laughs> yeah. I um, 
I started out working in restaurants while I was in college. And at one point I was like, I want to work at a really fancy restaurant where I can make more tips. But <laughs> like, seriously, my, my biggest yeah. career goals were to work in a place nice enough that I could wear a tuxedo. <laughs> um, but <laughs> which is not as cool as it sounds. Yeah. And, um, and, but those restaurants had big wine lists. And so I started like, like having to read about it so I could be, you know, a better waiter. And, I just like I just got bit by the wine bug. I loved it. I just like wanted to learn more and wanted to just to be really immersed in it. And I started so I started working at a restaurant and I became an assistant sommelier, which is really how you start. You don't go to school to be a sommelier. It's an old school sort of apprenticeship. You start out as an assistant, you work under someone, and then you do a lot of the book study and the exam preparation um, as you're already in your in your field. And being a master sommelier is no joke because you really have to study and have to take a whole exam for it. There's like a reason why there's such a small percentage that make it to where you're at. So I think so many people don't know that about this career path. Can you give us a little bit of a peek into the process of getting your certification and getting your title? Sure. Yeah, it you know it is purported to be the most difficult exam in the world, and part of that is that it's not like going to school where you have a set curriculum. You are really being tested on whether or not you have mastered your um, profession. And so there's three parts. There's actually several levels of exams. There's introductory, um, certified, advanced, and then master. Um, there are less than 300 master sommeliers in the world. And um, the, the exam itself, is there's three por- portions of the exam. There's theory, which is a, it's an oral exam, and it's, it's all the book study, like wine law and soil types, and mm-hmm. you're really diving deep into all of the theoretical knowledge of wine. And um, then there's the service examination, or the practical exam, which is more about the business of being a sommelier, but also a service element where going to tables and you're going through like these service scenarios where you're decanting and opening champagne and answering questions and making cocktails and doing all things beverage. And then the tasting exam is uh, 25 minutes and you have six wines in front of you, three whites, three reds typically. And you have to, and you're talking about what they look like, smell like, taste like, and then you have to identify them by the uh, grape, the region and the vintage. Wow. Yeah. It's hard. (laughs) That's crazy. So wait, okay, have you seen the movie? Is it uncorked or is it just corked? It's on Netflix, but it's about uh, this guy trying yes. to get... Yes. Is it is it a pretty accurate depiction of what happens? Um, it's a little bit different. I actually know the, uh, I know the guy that that movie is based on. Oh, and, really? Uh, they, yeah, yeah. He's, he's fantastic. He's a, he's a very well-respected sommelier and... It's, uh, yeah, that, that movie, it, it's the way that the scenario that they show the exam looking like is a bit different from how we do it. Pretty darn close. You know, you kind of get the idea of how, um, how intensely you should be, have to be focusing and geeking out on this stuff to get through. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, I, that was like the f- really first movie that I've seen about sommeliers and how the process is like. And I was, astonished by what goes into it for sure there's another movie and actually the the gentleman who that that movie is based on is also in this documentary but it's called som s-o-m-m okay um i have a i have a couple cameos in it uh, but uh, <gasps> really it's, uh, yeah yeah i do <laughs> so it's uh but it's great it, fo- it follows this, this group of, of four guys as, as they're going through their their you know the process of 
becoming master sommeliers. Mm-hmm. Not all of them, but most of them. Yeah. Most of them make it. Yeah. Why do you believe there's such a discrepancy in the amount of female versus male sommeliers? Do you think that there is anything that we can do to help break these barriers, if there are any, towards more females getting into this industry? You know, there are a, a lot of women in the industry. It's, uh, you know, and I, I always notice that at the beginning levels, it tends to be even more heavily female. Okay. And then as they progress, you find, like, less and less women um, going all, all the way to... Um, all the way through, and I, and I don't know if that's because women tend to leave the restaurant floor younger. Certainly, mm-hmm. if they have children, that usually takes them off of that uh, of the sommelier path and right. perhaps into other dra- other sides of the wine industry. But it's certainly something that is near and dear to my heart is to to get more women through to the top because uh, it's definitely not very balanced. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you would think that. Because women love wine, that it wouldn't, but, but that's just me coming at it from such like an outsider's perspective. Because mm-hmm. me and my girls, we love our wine. My mom, my aunties, they love their wines. You know, it would just feel like it would to me be more of like a natural thing, I think, for women to use that as a career. But that it is for like sure. looking at, you know, like researching this whole industry, it is. There is quite a discrepancy there. I know, and there's a lot of different organizations that are are focused on exactly that, about breaking glass ceilings in Mm -hmm. the wine industry. And there are women everywhere. They are making wine. They are, um, there's in fact, like the winemaking school in California, UC Davis, which is very famous. They, you know, about 50% of their their students are female. So you can see a lot of women that are in the industry from, um, all the way from the vineyard side, all the way through to marketing and distri- distribution and sales and retail. And, you know, we just yeah. need to amplify their voices a bit more and make yeah. it really clear that uh, we're here to stay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's get into the wines because I have a lot of questions. So, mm. first of all, what's the deal with, like, vintage? Does it make it that much of a difference if it's vintage or not vintage like can you taste it or is it just more of like a flashy thing and then like how old does a wine have to be to be considered vintage (laughs) um well vintage really all that means is that is that the year that the grapes were picked is on the label um and in some places that doesn't really matter as much uh for example in, in california there's very consistent weather and so you do see some variation from year to year certainly but it's not as extreme as it would be, say, in parts of France, where you can have a really cold year, a really hot year, a really rainy year. So you have some 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 vintages or some years where the wines just are not that great, you know, or they're really good when they're young, but they're fine. But if you age them, they just don't have the age ability. So when people talk about great vintage wine, they're talking about wines that can age for a long time. They have the perfect balance of of, of sugar and acid and alcohol and tannin and all those things are in place to really let them hang out for the long haul. Okay, so if like my parents, for example, if they had like a wine from when I was born, which is 92, like it would not be a good idea to drink it right now, right? It would, it was like way past its date. It kind of depends on the wine. Um, you know, unfortunately for you, 92, I'm trying to think of, of where in the world was that, was that a great vintage? <laughs> was that not a good always- wine here? <laughs> <laughs> the irony yeah it is really funny i mean yeah like I, I was like you know people like to drink stuff in their birth year and, and yeah there are some some, some wines out there that are, that are probably pretty good um i would say for you like look for port 
um, court from that from that year is, is pretty good okay. and um, and that should also be pretty stable um, but you know so some wines so for example if you had a, a Sauvignon Blanc from that vintage um, yeah it wouldn't be it wouldn't be good okay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah so just you want to find the regions where 1992 was a great year Got and it. you know and I, I've had wines that were over a hundred years old and and it's very different you know they're not they, they taste quite different but um, but it is possible for them to age that long. Is it stronger? No, it's actually the opposite. They get much lighter. They um, instead of tasting, I mean, think about the difference between eating a um, a fresh plum versus eating a prune. And you can, you know, like think about how like the flavors start to ch- are different. Yeah. And so in in wine, the fresh fruit flavors start to become more like dried fruit, and you get a lot more of those kind of wacky other flavors like tobacco mm-hmm. and um, smoke, and you get really unusual nutty flavors. Um, so it's just different. And it's not to everybody's taste. Yeah, that's so interesting. I find it fascinating because when I like research wine and stuff, you guys seem to be able to pick out all these different notes, and I'm just like, it just tastes like wine, <laughs> and I and I love it, <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> you know, it it just takes practice, and you know what? Honestly, every single person starts out there being like, oh, "Dude, always smell." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It just smells like wine. It smells like I'm about to have a really fun night. (laughs) And I'm done. (laughs) Um, Would you place more of an importance on the region of the wine or the year? Or is it just two completely different things that don't correlate? I mean, they are are relative to one another. So... So yeah, a, a year is important, but it's but it's 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 significant to each region in a very different way because each region has its own weather. Mm-hmm. I would place importance more on region, and then you know if there's a region that you love within that region, certainly there could be good years and bad years. But it, honestly, if you're drinking young wine, just enjoy it. Don't even worry about the year because yeah. the fact is that that like 95% of all wine is literally consumed within 48 hours of being purchased. Yeah. So most people drink it right away. Oh my god! Yeah. Yes. As soon as we buy it, exactly. We're like, I, I have, I have the the Chardonnay. I'm on the way. <laughs> Do you have a favorite vineyard? And should people have like favorite vineyards or brands? You think, or does that kind of limit their experimentation? Um, yeah, I think everybody starts to have favorites along the way in terms of, you know, wineries that they really connect with. Um, yeah, of course I have favorites and there's, you know, there's certain wines that it's like, you know, when I, when I see them on wine list, I'm like, yes, that's what I'm drinking tonight. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I think that's kind of where you start is like over time, you know, like I, or I just starting out as a wine drinker and listen, you know, yes, I'm, I am, I am a certified wine expert, but there's a, a way that you are a wine expert too. You know what you like, and I can't tell you what you like. Mm-hmm. So you 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 start with you know like if you know for example that you really like you know a certain Chardonnay from California, you know that's your starting point. So yeah, yeah drink drink it when you see it on list, and then start trying other Chardonnays and seeing if you, if you can find another one that uh, that you like as much or maybe more, and and then eventually you can start experimenting outside of that and trying other things and just seeing. What else? Uh, what else rings your bell? Yeah. Wait. What? So, what is your favorite vineyard then? 
Oh yeah, gosh, like, I couldn't choose. I mean, for <laughs> you know, actual vineyard, the actual plate, you know, specific vineyard for grapes. I mean, there's a very famous one in the, in uh, in Champagne called Clodomania that uh, is 100% Chardonnay, makes some of them the most elegant uh, Blanc de Blanc champagnes in the world. Now that's a uh, you know that's a pretty special one. But there's great vineyards in in uh, in lots of regions, so mm-hmm. it'd be it'd be hard for me to pick just one. Okay, okay, like okay. So I just have to ask my my dad's favorite wine is Opus One, and like mm-hmm. the price point of it is so steep. Like, do you think the price point is sometimes like exaggerated or? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, okay. So 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 that that is that gets complex. There is okay. certainly some situations where. You know, price point has to do with, um, and I think it's true with everything, with cars, with clothes. Yeah. You know, so, some things just have a lot of hype, and they demand they demand the price because right. of their scare- scarcity. Mm-hmm. But a wine like Opus One, I mean, first of all, it's like it is in the heart of Napa Valley in some of the most expensive wine real estate in the world. Okay. And it's, uh, you know, it's like super premium, so super premium land. So yeah. if you're going to be growing grapes in that kind of a place... You're going to be farm, farming them in very expensive ways, and you're yeah. also probably um, cutting off clusters of grapes before uh, before they ripen, so that you can the only a few clusters get super ripe and get all of the flavor. So mm. that makes it more expensive. Um, then the winemaking techniques, and you know, a new a new French oak barrel is over a thousand dollars. You use it once, um, and a, a place like Opus One might have a thousand of them, but you know, for a vintage. Yeah. So yeah. That's what. That's why the wine starts to get expensive. Wait, you use the barrels only once. Well, you can use the barrels multiple times, but I always say that like a like using a barrel in winemaking is kind of like using a tea bag. The first time you use it, a lot of intense flavor. Second time, not so much. Mm-hmm. Third time, not really any. So okay. you know, barrels are used to sort of soften the wine, but the all of those delicious like vanilla and spicy and caramely yeah. flavors that comes from the oak. And that, and that you're only going to get that in, in an extreme way the first time. time. Yeah. Yep. Is that how, like, certain brands have different tiers of wines? Like, I really love the Justin wine, but they have mm-hmm. the most, ex- the more expensive version of it. It's, like, I think, like, isosceles or something. Yep. That's yeah. exactly it. So, okay. So, it's, yeah. like, the one time they use, the first time they use the oak, and then the second time they use the oak. Mm-hmm. Got it. So, yeah. So, new barrels, the highest quality fruits, the the most, um, you know, they, they, they're probably aging it a little bit longer. So, yeah, really expensive techniques going into that. And then as you go on, like, like for example, you know, two-buck chuck is kind of oaky tasting, but it's really cheap. And you're like, there's no way that that's being aged in, in an oak barrel. Yeah. So what they're doing is they're literally taking, like, tea bags full of oak chips and soaking it in the, in the tank of wine. Swear to God. Oh. There's all kinds of little tricks. Oh, my God. It's not the, it is not the same as, as oak age, but, uh, <laughs> but it gives you that kind of oaky flavor. It gives you the vibe. <laughs> right. It's like drinking exactly. soda water out of a wine glass. Exactly. Yeah, yes. I do that sometimes. Makes you feel so fancy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so for normal, everyday drinkers like me, how can we appreciate the complexities of wine more than just simply drinking it and getting getting to <laughs> I mean there's nothing wrong with just drinking it yeah. but you know if you re- if you really want to um, learn more you know it's 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 fun to read a little bit about wine and there are some fun wine books out there honestly I recommend wine for dummies for everyone starting out because 
it really distills a massive subject into some real basic facts, which are great. Um, and you know, try, try, um, have fun with it. Like, like get different wines and try them side by side and see mm-hmm. if you can recognize, you know, start with like Sauvignon Blanc versus Chardonnay okay. and taste them side by side and see if you can recognize like how are the fruit flavors different between these two wines and, and you know, like how much does one make your mouth water versus the other? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and start note, you know, writing down your, your impressions of them. It's, um, it's a, it's really a great way to, to just start building your own language around, around wine. Yeah. Do you have like a simple wine tasting tip that you can share? Like, is, is there like a specific way to kind of sniff the wine? Because I can never like smell different notes in anything really, like aside from like the most dominant note, even in perfumes and stuff, I could never mm-hmm. get like top notes or whatever. <laughs> I'm always just like, yeah. it smells great. <laughs> Um, you know, that's something that, you know, I, I, I think that that is like learning a language and it's something that takes time and it takes practice and it also helps do it along with somebody. Like if you can do a a class where you're, where you're, you're learning how to, you know, pick out those notes. Um, yeah, the best tip though is like, you know, take your glass and you want to swirl it by swirling it and it, uh, it releases the volatile, volatile aromatics in the wine which make it smell a little bit more intense mm-hmm. and just really separate the, the categories of smell. So smell it and just think about fruits. Like is this, you know, uh, if it's a white wine, is it, you know, is it citrusy? And if so, is it like grapefruit, orange, lemon, lime? And then say, okay, is it like apples? Is this more like green apple, red apple, yellow apple? Mm-hmm. So you kind of break it, break down those categories and see, you know, which, which what makes the most sense. And then like, is it herbal? Does it smell like grass? Does it smell like fresh cut herbs? Mm-hmm. You know, is it floral? Is it, does it have any perfume, any kind of flower smells? Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how you do it. You, you just kind of, you break down the different categories of aromas and, uh, and, and sort of make your way from there. Got it. So white wines are usually a little bit more fruity and red wines are a little bit more oaky. No, it's, you know, unfortunately, there's not a lot of generalizations. Um, white wines can be, um, they can be really fruity. You can have things like Riesling that, that can be dry or sweet, um, you know, but, you know, and you can have wines like Chardonnay, which is usually, is pretty much always dry, but is sometimes oak-aged. There's a lot of variation. Got it. You know, white wines are um, mostly a little bit more refreshing. Red wines are usually a little bit heavier. Um, but there are some light red wines, there are sweet red wines. Mm-hmm. So there's no, there's yeah, no great, yeah. you know, one great answer on, on, on the difference. Right. Red wines are more red, white wines are more white. Yeah. I guess, I guess wine is way too complex to generalize anyway. Mm-hmm. But what is like, why is there a reason for the price difference between the red wines and the white wines? It's usually um, big, more expensive, a, right? It is. It is. And that's often because red wines, you know, they, they have um, tannins and tannins come from the skins of the grape. And so in, in white wine making, they press the grapes and they, they, they immediately start, you know, processing the wine making just with juice. Okay. With red wines, they have to soak, they soak the skins with the juice to extract the color. Oh. And also you get a lot of tannins that come from that as well. And then uh, red wines require longer aging. So you'll, you'll see the, a winery that are white wines are always available first, um, in, for any vintage. The red wines are usually, you know, six months to a year to two years later, depending on how long they want to age it. So that, that's one of the things that makes them more expensive. Got it. 
what are your thoughts on putting ice in white wine and champagne? Girl, whatever floats your boat. Rock really? On. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it will water down your wine, of course, as it <laughs> melts. But, you know, if you like, you know, like you, if you, if you take some white wine and throw some ice into it on a really hot day. I, I mean, heck, put some club soda in there, too, if you want to make a spritzer. <laughs> you know, it's, you know if, it, if it makes you happy, I have no problem with that. You know, I, I'm not uh, precious about wine. I see people do all kinds of crazy things. You know, back when I was a sommelier in the restaurant, I've, I've had people order really expensive champagne and then ask for, you know, peach puree to put in it. It's like, you know, if that's what makes you happy, like, <laughs> like a, I wouldn't do that. But. A Bellini. <laughs> yes. Like, okay, now you have a Dom Perignon yeah, Bellini. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fantastic use of money. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You could have done that with Prosecco and saved yourself a buck. I, no, <laughs> <You> know, seriously. <laughs> I would have gone the Prosecco route, for sure. Right? <laughs> what is the difference, speaking of Dom, what's the difference mm-hmm. between all the champagne varieties? Because there's like Brut, there's cu- Cuvée, am I saying it right? Yeah, that's right. And is there Grand Cuvée? Or am I there's, um. Well, there's yeah, there's a lot of words and like all these French terms. Grand <laughs> Cuvée is actually the name of a specific uh, um, a specific tier of wine for a single winery. But so okay. Cuvée just means blend. So if you Got see the it. word Cuvée, it just means blend. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, on Champagne, Brut refers to the level of sweetness. And you know, Champagne is very complex, and there's a lot of different terminology. But you know, Champagne after it's made, it is. Um, you know, it comes from traditionally. It's, it's in a very cold place, and so the grapes don't get super ripe, which means that when um, when the wine is finished, it has really high acidity. And if it's bone dry, it just becomes pretty severe. And so, what they do in Champagne is right before the final cork goes in, they do what's called a dosage. They actually add a little bit of sweetness to it. So, if you think about taking like diced strawberries and okay. sprinkling sugar over them, uh-huh. and how it suddenly makes the strawberry flavor stronger. Oh, By putting yeah. a little bit of sweetness back into champagne, it pops the fruit flavors. It makes it a more luscious tasting. Got so it. Brut is just, um, it's not bone dry. If you've ever had like warm, flat champagne, and you taste it, you can see it's not, it is not bone dry. There's right. a little bit of a sweetness to it. Very, very tiny amount. But, um, so that's all that means. And so, there are, and then you can, you can find sweeter versions too. So they add the sugar, they add actual sugar back to it? It's grape concentrate. So they, they take, a, you know, grapes that have not been fermented and they um, and they just pull the juice from those. Got basically. it. Got it. Got it. Okay. So do you think then, speaking of like little, going back to the rules with the ice and the champagne, do you think we should stick to the rules with like steak and red wine and fish, seafood, white wine combo? Is that like a hard and fast suggestion usually? Um, it's a hard and fast suggestion. <laughs> However, there's a lot of there's a lot of variability. I mean, one of the reasons that we say that that is that you know fish dishes typically are lighter, and they are you know they they tend to taste better with white wines. But okay. then you have things like salmon and tuna, which can be really um, rich and 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 earthy and meaty, and and they, they can be great with red wine. Okay, um, depending on how they're prepared. And then you know most meat. There's not a lot of meat dishes that work with with white wine because mm-hmm. it's ten- typically much heartier and you and like with all that protein you want a big chewy red wine but if you have something that's like you know fried or like 
you know, Asian food with lots of chilies and fresh herbs. And mm-hmm. even though it's like beef or lamb, it can still be fantastic with white. Okay. Okay. So does like the, the tannins and red wine cut the, the fattiness then, or is that? It kind of goes the other way around. And actually what happens is the, the, the fat, like fatty food will coat your mouth and sort of protect your mouth from the drying effects of tannin. Uh, to, to cut the fat, you want to have wines with a good amount of acidity. So when people talk about food-friendly wines, that's wines that uh, you know that have that refreshing, mouth-watering characteristic that you, you you drink it with your food. It makes your mouth water and it gets you ready for that next bite. Got it. Ooh, this actually this whole conversation makes me really want to drink and eat at ten thirty right? p.m. <laughs> <laughs> I want to eat and drink, and it's nine a.m. here. So. <laughs> Okay, can you give us some, like, no-fail selections when it comes to wine type and region? Like, for me, I usually pick, like, a Sauvignon Blanc from, like, New Zealand, the Marlboro region, and I always tend to feel pretty secure with the pick, no matter, like, the brand. So, like, can you give us some, some, like, selections like that so I can just, you know, the next time, well, tomorrow when I go to the store. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, you know, that's a great one. I mean, you know, I think find those regions that are very famous for one specific thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the Marlboro region of New Zealand is famous for the super zippy, bright, fresh yeah. Sauvignon Blanc. And they're all pretty good and they all taste pretty similar. Yeah. Um, you can also go to you know, like Argentina in the Mendoza region. It's very famous for Malbec. Um, okay. And you know, those are kind of good, like fail safe wines. Um, so find, finding those those kinds of those kinds of places are, are great, um, you know. And again, it, it does come down to taste. You know, I, I personally love Southern Italy for really great values. You can find like a super juicy red. Um, you know, it's a little earthy and like so good with food. Like Italian wines are made to go with food, and okay. you know, and and they don't have to be that expensive. Okay. Um, and yeah, so those those are those are a couple of the big ones that, that are sort of my go tos. Okay, where is like the butteriest Chardonnay usually? Is it Cali? Um, yeah, it's Cali. That, okay. and just because that tends to be the the the, 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 the where the the most taste for that style is. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. 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 Good to know. Good to know. Yeah. And and, and what about like the sweetest Riesling? Well, you know, Riesling, Riesling can be so sweet that you only want like a spoonful of it. You know, it depends okay. on how, how, you know, and that has to do with how it, how it's made. So, I mean, the, and the sweetness level, like you can, um, you know, you can have bone dry Riesling. That's like, it's almost like drinking New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. Okay. It's super refreshing from places like the Clare Valley in Australia um, or Austria. Um, and then you can have very, very sweet Rieslings. You know, Germany is certainly famous for both dry and sweet Rieslings. Okay. Um, you can get some good sweet Rieslings from the United States as well, but probably the most famous ones are coming from Germany. Okay. If our <laughs> listeners have to pick one red and one white to keep in their fridge all of the time, which ones would you recommend? So we can just go off of your taste. I trust your taste, clearly. Okay. <laughs> so get specific <laughs> with like brand and year because we're all about to copy you. <laughs> so okay these are the things that i always have on hand um as far as well i always have sparkling wine i usually always have like you know champagne or um cremant uh it's called c-r-e-m-a-n-t okay. cremant comes from france it's made like champagne and it's a lot cheaper and you can find cremant from different regions so it might say cremant d'alsace or cremant de bourgogne 
being that that's from Alsace or from Burgundy. Okay. Um, so yeah, if you see the word Cremant, those are usually really good values and pretty tasty. Okay. Um, white wine, I always have something super light, bright, fresh, like New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that's a that's a great example of a wine that's like a perfect palate cleanser. You know, you, you add that before you know, while you're cooking, yeah. and uh, you know. It's, you know, you're all good to go. Yeah. And then for reds, I like to have a really good versatile red. And for me, I, you know, I really love Pinot Noir. And some people, some red wine drinkers find it to be too light. But what I like about Pinot is that it really bridges the gap. Like if, you, if you're having fish or if you're having meat, you know, it's light enough to stand up to fit. To, or it's light enough to, to, um, to really be okay with seafood. And it has enough richness that it can be okay with meat. So okay. I really love like organ Pinot Noirs are, are really great. Um, you know, they're, they're just so good with all kinds of food. Okay. That's like super versatile because I, yeah, yeah, I feel like some reds, if you had to like kind of list like two of like the heavier reds and two of the lighter reds, which ones would they be just for a general knowledge? Um, so for a heavier red, something like Australian Shiraz is so big and intense. It's just kind of like, you know, it's hard to find you have food that matches that. It's got to also be super big, intense food, like a big old grilled steak. Um, there's a lot of California Cabernets that are really big and intense as well. Then, uh, then as far as lighter reds, Pinot Noir is much lighter. Um, Gamay, which is the grape that's used in, in Beaujolais is also quite light. There's a real trend going on now to make these really light, bright, fresh red wines, and I'm all over. It. I love these wines. They're just so they're so pretty. They're delicate. Yeah. They're you know they. It's almost like drinking a rosé or a yeah. white wine because they're so fresh. If you drink them a little bit chilled, they're yummy. Yeah. Speaking of rosé, what is yeah. your what is your thought about the whole rosé? Was it like a trend? Do you think it's like here to stay for a long time? Because I feel like I don't know. I feel like it's kind of like the the neglected middle child. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, you know, rosé is funny because it's, um, you know, it's been around for a long time and, and it was most famous in the, you know, the south of France, you know, like you'd go to like, I don't know, go, go down to the Côte d'Azur and mm-hmm. drink, uh, drink it on the, drink it on the beach. And, yeah, south you know, it's, of France. It's, uh, <laughs> exactly. So, um, but it's, you know, rosé, you know, part of the reason why it's kind of like the forgotten middle child is that. Typically, rosé is a byproduct. What you know, what happens? Is, like I was telling you about how when you make red wine, you're soaking the skins with the juice, and that's what makes it you know, really pulls the color out of out of those skins and makes that wine red. Mm-hmm. So, some some a winemaking trick is called saignée or bleeding off. And what they do is, as as those those skins are soaking with the grapes, they, they'll open up the side of the tank and pull out a bunch of juice, which is pink colored. And what that does is increases the ratios of skin to juice and gives you a much darker red wine. But then uh. you also have a little bit of rosé. And so typically wineries wouldn't have a lot of rosé. They would just kind of have enough that they would just drink themselves and, you know, enjoy that. And, and um, you know, it wasn't really something that they intentionally made. But the style has really taken off. And you're, you see rosés all over the place. And so people yeah. now are making these rosés where they just barely let the skin soak with the juice and, end up with different shades of pink as a result yeah and usually now it's like pricier than like normal wines when you look at a wine list now yeah if there's a mix of kind you know there's, there's some super there are definitely some value ones but it's amazingly enough there are some really expensive ones yeah. which i find shocking it's <laughs> to me it's yeah. to be at something that you just drink young and fresh and, and it's a 
you know, it's a front porch pounder, not a not like a serious wine, but there's some <laughs> serious rosés out there. It's just pretty. It is pretty, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so there's the value in it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Before we wrap the yeah. show, we do a segment every single week. It's called Weekly Weakness, where we let you shout out your favorite thing of the moment. It could be a book, a movie, a TV show, a product, a wine, anything at all. What is yours? Uh, this week, it's um, it's a perfume. It's uh, from Le Labo, and it's the Santal 33. <gasps> it is so yummy, yummy, yummy. Oh, my God. Can I tell you? Okay, that perfume, like, I've smelled it before, and I was, like, in love with it. It, smells so, it just doesn't smell that great on me, but I love it on other people. It's so funny how your body does that. I know it's so true. It's so true. Yeah, I love it. It's one. Of, it, you know what I love too is I went into the shop, and I smelled it on somebody and loved it, and went in. I was like, I must have yeah. that. And she, and she was like, I, I'm going to put it on you, and I want you to wear it around for the day before yeah. I sell it to you. I was and like, that is so you. good. Yeah, it did. Oh, it so did. Lucky. But, but yeah, so lucky. Okay, please tell our listeners where they can find you, and if they want to like work with you or anything like that, where can they where can they hit you up at? So you can find me on Instagram at emily.wines. Um, you can see a lot of my wine education videos through Cooper's Hawk Winery and Restaurant. You can see those also on Instagram at CH Winery and Facebook, Cooper's Hawk Winery and Restaurant. Um, you can, uh, and you can reach out to me on any of those sites as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Emily, for talking to me today. It's my pleasure. Nice talking to you, too. I had so much fun. It's my pleasure. Have a good night. You, too. (laughs) Bye. Okay. Bye. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Emily Wines. I had so much fun talking to her. If you had fun, if you enjoyed this episode, or if you learned something, um, please go ahead and give me five stars on iTunes. I would really appreciate it so, so much. It helps me get the podcast out there to more wonderful listeners like yourself. Thank you for coming to hang out with me this Friday, and I can't wait to catch up next week on Vibing in Valentino. Bye.